Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time. Thank you, Lord, for seeing us safely through the past week. Thank you, Lord, for all the praises that are on our lips and the things that we're sharing with each other about your goodness. And thank you, Lord, that you promised that if we ask, you will give us your Holy Spirit. And so this evening, Lord, we are asking because we need help to understand your word. I pray that you'd guide us in our study together. I pray that you please be with us and lead us as we go and look at this character in the Bible of Jephthah. May you lead us with your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have slides for you this evening, and so you'll be able to read along, and we'll be able to go a little bit quicker. And uh, so our, our first text really there is found in the foundation of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, we've been going through this chapter, and in this verse, we've been here for quite a few weeks, actually. Um, why? Because it just lists out a whole list of people. And right in the middle of it, you can see that it's bolded and underlined that name, Jephthah. And it's different to the title of my sermon because in the Old Testament, his name is not spelt this way. So if you do do a word search on that specific name without figuring out the actual original meaning, uh, the original spelling, you won't find him in the Old Testament at all. But it says here, what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. Jephthah, as I said, is probably the least famous character in all of Hebrews 11. Um, especially all these characters that we see are such illustrious characters. And in the Old Testament, there really is only one chapter devoted to him. Uh, there's another chapter that follows it that has a little bit of description, but really nothing much of significance. So his story is found in Judges chapter 11. And I'm not going to read really the whole chapter this evening. So if you want to go back and still get a bit further background, you can read that chapter through this evening after our study. But we're going to start in Judges chapter 11 and reading in verse 1. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, and he was a son of a harlot. And Gilead begat Jephthah. And Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his wife's sons grew up, and they thrust out Jephthah and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of Tob, and there gathered vain men to Jephthah and went out with him. The introduction of Jephthah seems to not start off very well. It does say he's a mighty man of valor. He's a brave man, a strong man, a valiant man, an able man, a virtuous man. These are the definitions that the Hebrew word implies when you look in the concordance. He is a really good man, yet in that same breath, it says he's the son of what? A harlot. A harlot. And... Um, you know, his dad obviously slept with a prostitute and gave birth to him. And even though he was the son of his father, his brothers from Gilead's wife would not accept him and cast him out because they didn't want him to have any inheritance in their family. They wanted nothing to do with him. They didn't want anything to do with him, rather. Jephthah had every reason from a young age to be a bad man, a drunkard, 
an outcast of society because he was cast out of, out of his home and rejected by his own flesh and blood. But he didn't let his circumstances get the better of him and dictate what he ought to be in these sorts of circumstances. In fact, he chose to be a better person. Remember, the Bible describes him as a valiant and a virtuous man. And so even though the, 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 the life that he lived handed him sour grapes, he even though didn't have the best start in life and the love that he needed in the home, he never gave him the excuse, himself the excuse, to be a bad person. He never poured into his life and say, well, you never had your brothers and sisters or even your mother and father reject you, did you? No, he never gave himself excuses as why he would be allowed to act in a sinful way, but rather he became better because of it. You know, already here we learn an important lesson. We must never give ourselves excuses as to why we are allowed to act a certain way, as if we are privileged or we just have this reason why we can be bad because I had an upbringing that was bad. We must not blame our past or our, our, our circumstances or our upbringing because why? God's grace is sufficient to overcome every cultivated and inherited tendency to sin and even overcome all the worst of circumstances to help us to be sons and daughters of God. So even from the very beginning there, we learned a very important lesson about the faith of Jephthah. But now let's continue. We're going to continue reading there in verse 4. And it came to pass in the process of time that the children of Ammon made war against Israel. And it was so that when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. And they said unto Jephthah, Come and be our captain, that we may fight with the children of Ammon. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, Did not ye hate me and expel me out of my father's house? And why are ye come now unto me when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, Therefore we turn again to thee now, that thou mayest go with us and fight against the children of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So as the story progresses, even though he's an outcast, when the Ammonites come to fight against the children of Israel, the first thing they do, is they run back to Jephthah to lead them in battle. They run back to him because they need help. And it was obvious, even to those that had cast him out, that he was a man of valor, that he was a virtuous man, and that God was with him. And at the first sign of trouble, they knew that they could, who they could trust and who they could turn to, and not even a second thought. They were quick. The Ammonites came. They took off looking for Jephthah. And you know, sadly, this attitude is prevalent in us, us today as well. Not only with people, but how we treat God sometimes, friends. We easily forget God when we lack nothing. When there's no trouble, we become too proud to call Him our God and to bend our knees to pray to Him because of the many blessings that we enjoy. But when things get difficult and all else fails, we come running back to God at our last resort. Isn't that us many times? How Jephthah was treated, that's exactly how we treat God too, isn't it? But friends, God is not a spare tire 
only to notice when we have a flat tire. We must learn to have a close relationship with him, just as Jephthah did. When he was rejected by men, Jephthah, he, he became even closer with God. He did not give himself the excuse to be bad and point to his past situations to dictate who he thought he should be. And, you know, we got to learn. Learn to make Jesus a center of our lives. It's better to live a life constantly with close to God rather than just remembering Him when tragedies strike. Remember, the time will come one day, friends, when we will seek God and He will no longer be found. That's what it says in Isaiah 55 and verse 6. Seek ye, seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. And so, Jephthah, he agrees. He agrees to come back and help the children of Israel fight this battle. Much of Judges chapter 11, and this is why we're going to skip quite a lot here this evening. Much of Judges chapter 11 really is this conversation that um, Jephthah has with the children or the, the leaders of the Ammonites who have come to fight against them. You see, the Ammonites said that the land belonged to them, and that's why they were coming, to take it back, whatever belonged to them in the past. But Jephthah, he goes and recounts the history that they actually, the Israelites, didn't intend to take their land when they were coming out of Egypt and making their march towards the land of Canaan. But when they were passing through the land, the Ammonites said, no, you cannot come through here. And not only did they stop them, but they came to attack them. And so the children of Israel had no choice but to protect themselves. And as a result, they came into the land of Israel and possessed the land. And so, you know, Jephthah, he recounts all these things. But you know what? Small but important fact. Know your history. You know, when you want to understand Bible prophecy, you need to understand history, friends. Many Asians, we don't even know our Chinese history. I don't know anything about Malaysian history, the country that I'm living in here. Um, we, we are not really history people. We like numbers. We like math. We like the sound of coins. You know, we like the, the flipping of the money, isn't it? That's what the Chinese are usually, business people. But here Jephthah shows us how important it is to understand the history and to understand these things, especially when it comes to prophecy, Daniel, and Revelation. But furthermore, Jephthah said, and he said this in Judges 11, this long conversation that he has with them. He said, look, for 300 years we've been here and you've done nothing about it. Why are you coming now? But anyways, he goes out to fight against the Ammonites and there is not much the Bible says in regards to the battle. It's not like Deborah it's not, or, or Barak that we studied before. It's not like even the battles of Samson. It was not like Gideon. We don't really know much about the battle that, that Jephthah had. All we read in Judges chapter 11 and verses 32 and 33 is this. So Jephthah passed over unto the children of Ammon to fight against them. And the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he smote them from Aroer, even till thou come to Minneth, even twenty cities, and unto the plain of the vineyards with a very great slaughter. 
Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And that's all we know, friends. God is the one that gives the victory. Jephthah, he is the one that is able to fight and overcome the children of Ammon, the Ammonites. But look, the focus of the story and, and, and all this, really the first 33 verses that we've read or that we've gone through, no one really knows much about Jephthah. Probably many didn't even know that he was the son of a harlot, you know. So these details, these are the sort of details that doesn't make Jephthah famous. It's what comes after this that many people understand or, or know about some sort of story regarding this circumstance that we're about to read. You see, before Jephthah goes into battle, he makes a vow, a promise to God. Basically, he's asking God for help. And he says, God, if you help me, I'm going to promise you something. And look, let's read his vow. This is what his vow is all about. Judges eleven twenty nine to 31. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh, and passed over Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed over unto the children of Ammon. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord, and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Many people, look at verse 31. You know, when you read that over again, many people read this vow from the angle that Jephthah would sacrifice whatever that would come out from his home if God gives him the victory over the Ammonites. This is the part of the story that Jephthah is really famous for, friends. And this is where we're really going to spend most of our time this evening. But he vows a vow and says, God, if you give me the victory, when I go home in peace, whatever comes out from my door, this is how the Bible seems to render it, whatever comes out from my door of my house, I will offer it as a burnt sacrifice to you. Well, what comes out of Jephthah's house, what is the first thing that comes out to greet him? Let's go to verse 34 and 35. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances, and she was his only child. Beside her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and says, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me, for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. But look, friends, did Jephthah really sacrifice his daughter as a burnt sacrifice? Surely not. But many people, when they read the story of Jephthah, now, for those that have forgotten the name, I know that you're familiar with this sort of story in the Bible. Because why? He is the one that's famous for sacrificing his son or daughter, you know, someone in the family. Never been done before. But you know, friends, even Abraham didn't go through with it. 
God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, but when he was at the point ready to kill him for a burnt sacrifice, God said what? Stop. He never went through with it. Jephthah would be the first person in history, I guess, to have gone through with it. But I'm going to show you this evening that Jephthah, he did not sacrifice his daughter, okay? Many people, they point to this story and say, Christians, they serve an unreasonable and unloving and illogical God. Many have had a hard time understanding this chapter. So let's go through this slowly, shall we? How do we know that Jephthah did not sacrifice his daughter? First, Jephthah would have known the fact that the laws pertaining to how Israel was run and how the people were did not allow such acts to move forward. Look at this. Let's go to Leviticus 18, 21. And thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Molech, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. Furthermore, Deuteronomy 12, 31 to 32. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God, for every abomination to the Lord, which he hateth, have they done unto their gods. For even their sons and their daughters, they have burnt in the fire to their gods. What things soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. You see, that was what the pagan gods did. This was not something God was instructing. He said, this is an abomination. Furthermore, Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12. There shall not be found among you any one that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. It was clear that Moses wrote against these things. It was clear that God did not accept such acts. God calls it an abomination. Surely he wouldn't allow such an act to proceed, right? And if Jephthah really did go ahead with it, and it was an abomination, surely we would not have seen his name in Hebrews 11 with all these other great men and women of faith. Surely his name would have been left out because there's not much talked about in the regards of that battle. God gives him the victory, but then he goes and does this horrible act. Surely God would not have allowed such a thing to take place. But yet he is mentioned as one of the men with great faith. Moreover, we read in Judges 11. Let's go back there. And verse 29 and 30, that when Jephthah made the vow, look at what it says in verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh, and passed over Mizpah of Gilead. From Mizpah to Gilead, he passed over unto the children of Ammon. And then he vowed a vow. But in the beginning of verse 29, do you see what came upon him? The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. He made this vow. He made this promise under inspiration. He was filled with the Holy Spirit when he made this vow, intending to burn his daughter alive? Surely not. So, the Holy Spirit would lead him to sacrifice his daughter? 
knowing that his daughter would be the first thing that would come out from the house? Surely not, right? So it doesn't make sense that Jephthah would have sacrificed his daughter. But let's keep going. There's a few more things that we can look at. Let's take a look at a a closer inspection of this vow that he makes in verse 31. Then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. When you look at other modern Bible translations, it doesn't really offer much insight. They all seem to give support to the fact that Jephthah really sacrificed his daughter. And it's one of those things that we just gloss over. We just don't know how Jephthah made it into Hebrews 11. We don't know how he could have been a good judge. We don't know how God would have worked through him, right? And so these modern Bible translations don't seem to help at all. And, you know, many times I've looked at different translations and they have helped. But in this case, I had to go one step further. I had to look at the interlinear Bible. What is an interlinear Bible? You will see on the slide here that at the top we have the verse of Judges 11.31 there. And that's exactly what we just read. And then below you'll see this long passage. At the very top is the Hebrew word itself. Below it is the Hebrew word of how it's pronounced. And then below that is the English words. So when the people tried to to translate the Bible from Hebrew into English, this is how they read it. And he becomes the one coming forth, which he is coming forth from doors of house of me to meet me in return of me in peace from sons of Ammon. And that kind of makes sense. It shall be whoever comes forth from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon. And then it says what? He becomes to Yahweh. And I offer up him a sent offering. Now, when you look at this, right? It could be read this way. Whoever comes from the door of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon, that whoever comes, that person will belong to Yahweh, to the Lord. And I will offer up to him, God, a burnt offering, an ascent offering. It could be read this way. I will offer up to God a burnt offering on top of dedicating whatever comes out of my house to greet me. The first thing that person or that thing or whoever it is, whatever he was expecting, will belong to the Lord. And on top of that, I will offer a burnt offering. Now, here's the thing. I want you to think about this. Who would Jephthah be expecting to come out of his house? Maybe his servants, his wife, of course his daughter here, but a dog or a cat? You know, the the sheep and the bull and the cow and all of that that you would normally offer for a burnt offering would not be living in the house, right? So it would make no sense that I mean, if, even if he says, whatever comes out from my gate, it would make no sense. How would the, the sheep or the cow or the bull be free, left wandering to roam around? No, they were in their, their, their fenced areas. They were kept safe, right? So it, if Jephthah was expecting some sort of burnt offering to come out that was acceptable to God, he wouldn't have done that. 
It makes no sense. And if there were cats and dogs in the house, you can't offer cats and dogs as a burnt offering. It's an unclean animal. It would not be accepted by God, right? So it doesn't make sense that he was saying, whatever comes out of my house, the first thing that greets me, I'm going to sacrifice that for a burnt offering. He couldn't have said that so clearly because he didn't know it could... God doesn't accept humans for burnt offerings. And He doesn't accept dogs or cats or pigs or camels or, you know, ducks or chickens. He didn't accept any of those things. He did accept goat and sheep, ram, bulls, right? So it doesn't make sense that He would say such a thing thinking that this would be a burnt offering. So friends, what was the vow of Jephthah then? What was he willing to offer to God? You see, it was not as a burnt offering. It was just like how Hannah was dedicating her son Samuel to the work of God. And whoever came out of his house, he would offer to God to devote to the service of God. And maybe he was expecting a servant, you know? And why the daughter caused so much anguish of soul? Because he only had one daughter. And so the dedication of Jephthah's daughter apparently meant that his daughter would remain a virgin for the rest of her life. And not only did he only have one daughter, she was the only child of Jephthah. Let's continue reading back in Judges chapter 11, verses 37 to 39. And she said unto her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months, that I may go up and down upon the mountains and bewail my virginity and my fellows. And he said, Go. And he sent her away for two months. And she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed, and she knew no man. And it was a custom in Israel. So the, the text finishes off in verse 40. But you, do you see there at the very end that uh, he did according to his vow and the result was she knew no man. So now these texts that we read, it makes more sense. Why is she bewailing her virginity? Because now she is not going to be sacrificed. She's not going to die. That's why she's bewailing her virginity. She's sad because now she knows that she's been dedicated to God. She can't get married. She can't have children. She's going to be a virgin for the rest of her life. And so why would Jephthah be so sad and anguished? because his bloodline would stop right here. That was his only daughter, his only child. There was not going to be anyone else that would continue his family line. And this one that is living, she would be a virgin, which also meant that for certain the Messiah would not come through him because his bloodline is about to stop. Do you see that? This is the reason why she was bewailing her virginity. This is the reason why Jephthah was so caught up and, and sad when he saw that the daughter would be the one that would come out of the house. Now we know that he did not burn his daughter alive, that we understand how he made it into Hebrews chapter 11. You know, Jephthah, he was faithful to his vow. 
he was faithful to his word. And he still chose to trust God in spite of what God allowed to happen. Maybe some people look at Jephthah and says, oh, he made a rash promise. Why would you have to make such a thing, Jephthah? It was not needed. And sometimes they compare it to Saul when they were out in battle. And he said, no man is allowed to eat until our enemies are destroyed. And he was willing to kill his son, Jonathan, because he had taken some honey and gained some strength, you see. And some people say, hey, Jephthah was really, he was just rash. But he was filled with the Spirit of the Lord when he made this vow to God. And even though when he saw his daughter come out, he was sad, but he didn't complain. He didn't go back on his promise. He didn't doubt God or get angry at Him and say, Why, God? But he chose to be faithful to God and to the promise, to the vow that he had made. Friends, this is a really important lesson for us to learn today. Learning to be men and women who are true to their word. And you know, sometimes, friends, it's easier to be true to another human being. Why? We see each other face to face. But sometimes we too easily let go of the vow that we make to God. You know, before you ever join the church, we have baptismal vows. You commit to these vows. You commit to your word. You stand before a group of people that see you raise your hand or say yes or I do that you're saying, I'm committing to God. It's like a marriage vow. And sometimes we are so easily able to commit to the marriage vow. But when it comes to the vows that, and the promises that we make to God, we break it too easily. Why? God doesn't stand there like an angel uh, that's standing before Balaam and ready to kill him and say, hey, you know, you didn't listen to me. God doesn't seem to work in that way nowadays. Does he to some? Yes, he does. But many times when we break our vows to God, we find it too convenient. Whether it be through our tithe, our offering, the commitments that we made from a week ago to say, I'm going to come to church on time or early, or you know, I'm going to give God the strength of my manhood and I'm going to serve Him. We, we tell people, oh, I, I want to serve God more. And, and when we tell people, I want, to, I want to be there and, and be more involved. And why didn't you involve me? But when the time comes, you're nowhere to be found. And too often we make these vows and promises and they're empty promises. We make excuses. We like to blame people. We like to blame our circumstances. But friends, we see here, Jephthah, he did not do any of that. And he didn't say, oh God, you'd understand, right? Surely, I only got one daughter. He didn't make excuses, but too often we do. But this is what the Bible says about the promises that we make. Look at Deuteronomy 23, 21 to 23. When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. Do you see that? It would be sin. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. That which is gone out of thy lips, thou shalt keep and perform even a freewill offering, according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. Do you see that, friends? When we make a promise 
When we make a vow, if we don't go through with it, the Bible here calls it a sin. We got to be men and women of our word today. And it's so easy and convenient to go back against it. You know, when the early church was growing up there in the book of Acts, people began to sacrifice their lands and and give up things and, and, and so that they could support the work and support those that were poor and needy. And Ananias and Sapphira sold their land to give it to the Lord, but they held part of it. And then they lied to Peter saying, we have given everything. They made a promise. But when that money was sitting in their hands and they saw, wow, I've never held so much cash in my hands before, their heart failed. And they went back on their promise to God. They died as a result. God was no different from that Old Testament God that uttered this this instruction in Deuteronomy than He was in the New Testament. And He showed the early church how important it was to be true and have fidelity towards God. And this is what we read also in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 12, 36 and 37. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Also, chapter 5 and verse 37, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Oh friends, we got to make sure that we are keepers of our word, that when we say yes, we really mean yes. And when we say no, we really mean no. Never make a promise that you're not able to keep. Be careful about what you say. If you cannot keep it, make sure you just don't promise at all. But friends, this evening I have a question for you. Can people trust your word? Can people believe you when you say something? Are we truthful with the words that we say? Are we responsible for putting into action the promises that we make? This is what we call responsibility and being mature, growing in faith. This is where I believe Jephthah is allowed into Hebrews 11 with all along those other illustrious characters because he made that vow to God even at the expense of his own bloodline, even at the cost of his daughter having to serve God and being a virgin for the rest of his, her life, even though he would never be a grandfather, even though, even though, he never made excuses, friends. He never made excuses. And if we want to be a Christian and a light to the world, friends, so that people will be attracted to Jesus Christ, we have to become men and women of our word today. And friends, beyond men and women and the promises that we make to them, what are the promises that you have made to God? This evening, start with those baptismal vows. Start with the commitment that you made to God before you got baptized. No one forced you into it. Well, I hope not. And I hope that you made a well-informed decision. That you decided yourself to follow Jesus all the way. And then go beyond that. Did you make promises to give Him a certain amount of your finances? Did you promise Him that you would serve Him if He got you a job or got you the scholarship or helped you with this? You know, we make promises all the time. To God. And many times we break them as well, friends. 
sometimes he's just tempted to tell God, God, I really don't have much this month. Surely you understand, right? But you made the promise. Jephthah could have said that. It's my only child, God. My only child. I don't have anyone else. You know, maybe he could have bargained with God. God, if you, if you let my wife have another child, I'll, I'll give her. He could have changed his vow and modified it, dependent upon something else, but he didn't. He gave his daughter fully unto the Lord. Today, God is waiting for his children to be true to their word, true to their promises, even though it comes at a sacrifice and calls for self-denial. And so really, what is it about our promises? It's about self. We back out of these promises that we make to God because it rubs against what God wants, but against what we want, what our desires are. And many times, I would say 99% of the time, it's not a need. It's not. It's just our desires. And we get scared. But friends, this is where we have to learn to have faith, to trust God. That through this commitment that we make, He will do exceedingly above, abundantly above all that we ask or think. we got to get to the point that we trust God. And then when He tells us and then we say, Okay, God, let us learn to trust Him that He knows what is best for each and every one of us. And that when He allows this point to move forward and, and the vow comes into to practice now, may He give us the strength to obey, but in here, He's got to give us the willingness first. You know, when the daughter came out and He said, Oh, why have you done this to me? I vowed a vow to God and I can't go back. That's the promise that had settled in his heart before he even reached home. He made a firm decision. So today, friends, don't let the emotions get the better of you. Sometimes we make these decisions and we listen to sermons like this and you hear the appeals that are made and it's like, okay, I've got to make this decision. And then you allow people to convince you that, oh, it was emotional. And we would look at Jephthah today and say, oh, Jephthah, you were being rash. You were being impetuous. You were being emotional. But he wasn't. He wasn't. God knew best. And so today, friends, in the quietness of your heart, what promises have you made to God? Have you really promised that you're going to follow His Word? And are you following His Word today? You're not breaking it because of the devil. You're breaking it because of yourself and the decisions that you make. Have you just started putting less and less and less and less money in to the church because of somebody or something that happened to you? You didn't make a vow to the pastor. You didn't make a vow to any person in the church. You made a vow to God to give your tithe and offering. Not to a man. We don't change our vows because of circumstances that happen. No, friends. If we know this is right, by the grace of God, may He help us to go through with what we have promised. He'll give us the strength, but He can't force us to be willing, friends. So I pray 
that you would learn to trust Him today. And His promises are true, but yours must be as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, sometimes we think that man's promises just mean nothing at all and we don't take it seriously with you, but you take it so seriously with us, Lord. I pray that you please be with us. Help us. Help us to apply the things that we have promised to you. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to trust you. Lord, strengthen our faith today and help us to go through with what has been promised. And so, Father, I just ask that you continue to lead and guide each of us today. Help us to walk in accordance to thy will and thy way. Fill us with your spirit, O Lord, and give us the faith of Jephthah today to follow through with what we have vowed and promised to you. Bless us for the rest of this evening, O Lord, and until we meet again, keep us safe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.